Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. Uh, my name is Ryan Joy. This is our 10th Daily Wrestling News Show special covering the Tales from the Territory episodes that are airing every week on Vice. And this was the last episode. And John, what'd you think of the last episode? I mean, I regardless of anything that happened in Mid-South, I knew it was going to be a great episode because look at who was sitting around that table. Yeah, right. So yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Jim Ross, Jake Roberts, Michael Hayes, and Ted DiBiase sitting around the table uh, swapping stories about Mid-South wrestling. So um, I know, you know, I guess at this point, we could kind of look back at the entire collection of episodes in, you know, the ratings weren't very good for Tales from the Territory. So I don't know that we're really looking at a season two. I don't know if a season two is warranted really because they hit all the major promotions. And unless I, the only, only thing I could think of is that maybe they brought in some different people or something to talk about each territory, but, um, but they've already kind of hit all the major territories. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, maybe they can, like you said, they, they can revisit a territory here or there, Maybe do a you know maybe a, a one-off episode here or there, work it in between a future season of Dark Side of the Ring or something like that. But uh, you know, kind of like they're doing next week with uh, a special after this season wraps up. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so the next week they have this uh, the Nine Lives of Vince McMahon uh, documentary that's airing, and I noted you know that they had commentary from vince russo and brian alvarez in the little commercial bit that they did um but then i i also noticed it looked like they were recycling some footage from the dark side of the ring episodes like i know that jim Cornette line about crossing hugh hefner and pt barnum is directly out of the montreal episode i'm pretty sure it's montreal yeah, so yeah, I, I'm I'm sure there will be some new content there, but you know, the nine lives. I'm sure they're going to be talking about multiple scandals, so I'm sure it's all stuff they've touched on before. So yeah, it would, it would make sense that there would be some repeat stuff in there. Yeah, exactly. Well, this episode last night, Mid South. Um, you know, Mid South is one of those territories that I I never watched any, obviously, but what I I've heard so many stories from. Jim Ross and and people of the of that era um, that I feel like I kind of knew the territory before we even got to the episode, and you know Jim Ross retold his story about traveling with uh, Leroy McGurk and Leroy was on a mission to kill the Million Dollar Man because Lee, uh, Teddy was dating his daughter Mike McGurk, which I didn't make the I did not make the connection that uh, Leroy McGurk's daughter was the uh, the female ref and the, or the female announcer. In Ring it yeah. 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 She was the, the, the red, uh, like tux with the tux and tails, uh, jacket she used to wear. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't make that connection, but there you go. So, so, so Jim Ross retold that story. So that was kind of stuff that I had heard before. I loved the Jim Duggan stories that Jake Roberts told. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was really good. Cause you know, when you think about Jim Duggan, you basically think about the bombastic character guy from, uh, you know, the WWF years of ran around, waved the flag, threw the two by four up in the air. And 
was made made to kind of look like a goof. He was kind of goofy, um, but he had a few serious um, run, uh, you know, programs in WWF. You know, when he was trying to take down Yokozuna and things like that in the early days, when uh, we were still in the Cold War, he was he had some serious programs. But he was kind of a cartoon character in the WWF. But um, back in this mid south, to hear Jake tell the story that Duncan was a legitimate tough guy. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. It's not that I it ever escaped me that Jim was a big guy, a former football player, and looked like he absolutely could handle himself in a bar fight. But he didn't necessarily seem like the kind of guy who would get in a bar fight, at least not to me. And apparently that is quite the opposite of the man who actually existed, especially in the time in the Mid-South. Jake told the – kind of set up the story. He was talking about Duggan, and he's like, you know, Jim – he, you know, it's Jim. He he has like four jokes and he tells them every night. And if you stay with him for a couple of nights, you're going to hear him every night. And he's going to think they're hysterical and he's going to laugh at all of them. And, uh, you know, he he likes to tell his jokes. So, you know, it, it, he's kind of a goofy character in real life. Uh, but this story about um, this great big huge guy comes walking into the bar that they're drinking at. And Duggan says, I don't want any problems from you and you won't get any problems from me. And the guy hauls off and starts punching Duggan and he gets him. And, and Duggan is wild swinging and stuff because he's drunk and can't see the guy because Duggan was wearing glasses and the first and the other guy got the first punch in and you know cut up his face so Duggan can't see the guy and he's just throwing haymakers and missing and Jake's concerned because Duggan's going down and then Jake's going to have to jump in to kind of protect kayfabe and he's all concerned about it so Jim sticks his hand up and the guy bites down on Jim's thumb and that was enough for Jim to kind of orient himself and say, I know where you are now. <laughs> One punch, the guy goes heaping down, knocked out cold. Uh, and and that's kind of the end of the story. I mean, there's a little bit more of the story, but that's pretty much the the end of it. And um, that was a, that was probably my favorite story from last night. And, the, and that was my favorite line of the night, basically, was, you know, the guy bites down on Jim's thumb. As you said, there's his own blood is in his eyes. He can't see. But now he's like... Now I got you. You know, like basically, I know where you are now. Now it's time. And, and like, just not what I would expect from the hacksaw cartoon character that I grew up with in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Mid South, owned by Cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, it was Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. Uh, he was the the first promoter to feature a black man on top as babyface, junkyard dog. We'll probably talk about that a little bit, but. Um, he's alive. He's 83 years old, Bill Watts. And, uh, I don't know. I, it's kind of felt funny that he wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. Now, and I don't, I don't mean to bring up controversy here, but this is the same Watts that kind of had a bad name for like, didn't he have some racist issues? Like, isn't that what kind of like pushed him out of the business? Yeah. Well, it's, interesting um if you kind of like look at the timeline of things mm-hmm. um obviously watts put junkyard dog on top yeah. um watts spent some time in ring of honor and he had some common some back and forth with jim Cornette, and watts said something to the effect that um all all men are equal but some people are better <laughs> you know, or something like that. And uh, I don't think it was conceived well, but that was in like mm, 2006. 
and then he went into the WWE Hall of Fame a couple of years later. So, so he wasn't totally out of the uh, out of the the wrestling picture. So, but yeah, it's a good point that he had. It like, sounded odd that you know, yeah. to, to have that you know star next to your name, the first guy, not only the first guy to put a black baby face at the top of your company to get pushback from the nwa not i mean not that they told him you can't do that but they kind of looked at him and went like you're gonna you're gonna ruin things like that's not gonna work yeah. but he felt like he knew his audience and he turned out to be 100 right because jyd was as over as you know anyone in the territory ever was and you probably feel the same way i do is when you when we when we look at him you know we were growing up in the northeast and we were wwf guys and junkyard dog was there and you know he was an important character on the card but he was never really a top guy top top guy he was kind of not silly but you know he he wasn't ever even approaching top guy status but i have always known through reading uh jim ross biographies and hearing other accounts that in mid-south this man drew some money he put some butts in seats and he worked on top for a while there and and uh and they were running stadium shows yeah well that was one of the you know when in the opening when you said uh you know the territory uh arkansas louisiana oklahoma mississippi when they say that in the beginning of the episode then i'm waiting for them you know like a world class where we're going to hear about the sportatorium and other but you know you knew the buildings they were going to talk about they worked in louisiana and they worked the superdome exactly so that, that is you know that's not small time by any means no no um the other thing about this territory that they brought up kind of over and over uh and it was the first time that it was really brought up well alluded to in other episodes is like this mafioso uh mafia parallels to the world of wrestling uh in the in the territory days and how you know they all the episodes talked about it being protected mm -hmm. but uh you know the business being protected and what the, the lengths that they would go to to protect the business and protect themselves their image as tough guys in mid-south it was basically you did that or you lost your job like Watts yeah. was not going to to put up with anybody losing a fight he was not going to put up with anybody breaking kayfabe you had to go all the way with things so and just jumping back for a half a second to the, the Jake and Duggan bar story, the reason Jake started to get uneasy when Duggan went down, not, not only did he not expect anyone to be able to drop Duggan, he knew he was next up because there was no way he could go back to Cowboy uh, Bill and tell him that uh, Jim was in a bar fight and lost. Yeah, well, you were sitting right there too. Why didn't you do something? Like it was like that. It wasn't even a consideration. If Duggan didn't get back up off the floor, Jake was going to have to get involved, and he wanted no part of it. But he knew, you know, that that was Cowboys' rules. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're talking Jake the Snake Roberts here a little bit, and I see that you're wearing a Jake the Snake shirt. At, at first glance, I just thought it was a Raiders shirt. Right. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I see now you have the, it's basically the Raiders helmet and you got snakes coming out the side. Yeah. I am also wearing a Jake the Snake shirt. And if you look quick, you would think it might have been a Randy Orton shirt because it's got the, yeah. the uh, snake, the snake coming out like that. But, oh, good times with Jake here. So, um, a couple of interesting junkyard dog stories on here. Um, 
I liked the one where they talked about Ted DiBiase um, because up until DiBiase told the story, which was probably 35 minutes into the show, he was just kind of a guy nodding <laughs> at yeah. the table. He didn't really say much of anything, but finally they got around to like, okay, why is, you know, he's a legend of wrestling, but why is he here? Yeah. Finally, they kind of got around to it is that DiBiase broke in in Mid-South yeah. and he broke in as a baby face. And even when they showed pictures of Ted, Ted in that era, I mean, you take one look at this guy and you know he's a heel. I mean, he just has that vibe that just exudes him. Clean shaven Ted, you're like you you almost don't recognize him, but the minute if he's even got a five o'clock shadow, you're like, that's a dastardly dude. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh and I so I guess you know he was kind of buddy buddy with junkyard dog and whatnot. And uh Ted goes to Ernie Ladd, who is the booker in Shreveport for uh for Mid-South, which by the way, junkyard dog working on top. Ernie Ladd as a booker, I, Bill Watts was not afraid to, you know, you know, cross the lines, I guess, a little bit. But uh, in any event, uh, so Teddy Bassi goes to Ernie Ladd and says, you know, I think I found your next big heel, and it's me. And Ernie Ladd all of a sudden is like, you know, that that is a great idea because nobody would see it coming. And, you know, DiBiase as, um, you know, as a face was, he was over, and, you know, people wouldn't see him betraying a uh, junkyard dog. And so it, the way they worked it, it sounds like they had the work, the plans in motion for a couple of months prior to the turn. Yeah. And because uh, it was like two months prior that DiBiase was in a match and he ended up punching the ring post. And as an account of that, he put on a cast and he had a glove. And then for some reason, months down the road, He's got the cast. He's got the, or he's got the glove on and everything. And he's, for some reason, he's working a babyface babyface match with the junkyard dog, uh, a friendly exhibition, if you will, well for the championship. Yeah, and uh, and DiBiase rolls out of the ring. Junkyard dog does the nice thing, helps him back in, helps his friend. The commentator even says, and while the uh, the referee is looking at the junkyard dog coming in, DiBiase loads up the glove with you know some lead or whatever, and and strikes junkyard dog, taking him down winning the title and uh, turning heel. And apparently this was a huge heat for DiBiase. Yeah. We had one punch starched him and, you know, uh, the JYD sold it beautifully, just, you know, pin straight hits the floor and you, you got to think, you know, DiBiase made a point of saying like, you know, I had the cast and I had the wrap and I went to the glove. There's really no point for the glove but he was getting the audience used to having the glove, even though the glove was technically serving no purpose Yeah. until it was time for it to serve its purpose. And it caught everyone off guard. And, you know, kind of one of those things where you have to think that the audience was kind of slack jawed, like, Oh my God, what just happened? And that kind of situation brings monster heat. Yeah. And to make matters, uh, to make uh, strong heat hotter, they worked a uh, career-ending match or a loser leaves town match, and everybody thought that the you know JYD would win, and DiBiase won. Mm. But immediately, Junkyard Dogs back the next week under a hood and a full body suit, and nobody is even questioning the fact that it's Junkyard Dog. But uh, in any case, that was just one of the many many stories from 
uh, from the, the the show last night, uh, and it was one of the big JYD ones, talking about, essentially, you make DiBiase as a heel, working off of the goodwill that the Junkyard Dog had as a face in the territory. So, yeah, I like that. I like that story. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, they say, you know, personal issues draw money, but even if it's not, it, okay, it's not, they didn't necessarily have personal issues, but because they had that personal connection, these guys were friends, that makes for a great heel turn. So, and then that makes for a great rivalry. It draws money and, you know, away you go. You, you know, yeah, sure. yeah. And you're right. You know, when, when, you, when you draw the, the thread or weave the thread through all 10 episodes, this person that they brought it up in the very first episode, Memphis, about personal issues draw money. And, you, you know, Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett are sitting there talking about that kind of stuff. And then that carries straight through. And then here you are at the end and Jim Ross bring, hits the nail on the head here and puts puts the uh, the last final point on it when he says, people ask him all the time, is it what's what's better, personal issues or championships to sort of draw money? And, and they all, all four of the legends at the table all say it's personal issues and then they lead into the DiBiase story right yeah because you could put a belt on anyone and I mean we see it you know people bitch and moan all the time about the WWE especially but you see them put a belt on somebody and people are just like Ugh, why'd they put the belt on that like they don't care about that guy and they don't care that he's the champion yeah but if you have a if you have a compelling story on the undercard where two people absolutely hate each other that's going to draw attention. That's going to draw money. Yep. And we see it over and over and over again in the history of wrestling. The other interesting story was one that Jake told about um, working with Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and the reason I bring it up is because Jake went, Jake would go on to have an enormous career, right? In WWE, he was, you know, sort of the top, you know, there was, there was Hogan at the top. And then you had about four guys, that were kind of like in that second, third babyface rung, and and he was always one of those one of those guys. And um, but Jake said the greatest moment of his entire career was right here in Mid South. He got to work an angle with Muhammad Ali. Now he's working a match against the Snowman, and Jake has uh, John Nord in his corner. Snowman has Muhammad Ali in his corner. Well. Snowman's getting the best of Jake, and so Nord jumps in the ring, and Jake starts jawjacking with Ali. He, Jake pulls Ali up on the uh, apron, and Ali takes a swipe at Jake, and Jake, uh, and he connects, and you know Jake stumbles back. He comes back two more times, and on the third one, uh, he stumbles back into Snowman's finisher and gets, and Snowman gets the win, but. What was supposed to happen is that Jake was supposed to take that punch from Ali and go flat out, and you know Ali was supposed to be the person who hit the the, the death knell here. But uh, so, but Jake didn't, and he didn't sell those punches from Ali. Uh, and afterwards, Bill Watts reamed him out. Yeah. But it was, uh, you know, twenty minutes later, or whatever, Muhammad Ali walks into the locker room and says, you know, you're a very smart young man. You'll be seeing those fans again next week. Good luck. So Ali was was smart. He understood the business enough to know why Jake didn't want to sell those punches. Sure. And, yeah, and Jake uh, – the funny thing was Jake 
had ideas about taking it even a step further. Like yeah. he, he knew that this was going to be the opportunity to make his name and career forever. And uh, I maybe it was DiBiase who said like, you know, Jake was, you know, rattling on backstage, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot on uh, Ali and drop him with a DDT. Yeah. <laughs> and like, could you imagine if he had gone off script to that degree? You know, I'll tell you what, make it good. Because if you, because <laughs> if, if if Ali gets up and punches you, you know it's it's not going to be uh, you making your career. <laughs> and and as Jake, uh, as you alluded to, as Jake, after getting chewed out by uh, Cowboy Bill, he's sitting there, and when Ali comes in, he's not sure what to expect. Jake, yeah, he's yeah. not sure is Ali going to come in and tell him how pissed he is that you know Jake didn't make a fool out of him, but you know lessened his effect, and. Ali comes in and he was perfect, you know, apparently perfectly fine with it. And you know, it all worked out for Jake. <laughs> yeah. So uh, good stories from last night, good stories throughout the entire series. Like I mentioned kind of in the beginning, I don't know if they're going to really do another a series. I don't know if with those ratings, I don't know if Vice would renew them. And even if they did renew them, I don't know what they would talk about. Right. Um, but maybe they'll, maybe they'll surprise me or they'll pivot into some sort of other, other series. But definitely enjoyed everything that they did. Uh, and when you look at the the legacy of Mid-South, they, they did what a lot of the other territories tried to do. They tried to hang on. They tried to, uh, they, you know, they rebranded themselves as UWF to try to not sound so regional. Right. Uh, and Jim Ross even said that their TV, at the end, their TV ratings were incredible. But there was something going on with the oil industry at the time and people just couldn't afford to buy tickets. So they sold to Crockett and then Crockett just didn't know what to do with them, which is a familiar thing that you'll hear always, right? Like just like Vince didn't really know what to do with WCW once he bought it. So, but it, it feels so weird because you know, they, the, the amount of talent that came through mid South is not altogether different from the incredible amount of, uh, talent that came through, uh, you know, the Carolinas with Crockett. Why wouldn't he know what to do with them? You know, like yeah. I guess they they were kind of trying to keep them as their own entity, and maybe that's what screwed it up because he couldn't concentrate on it enough. But you know, knowing that they were linked to Crockett, you would think that would give them the power to really maybe go up against Vince at least for a little while until he wound up buying everyone out. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, just didn't work out, and that's a shame. Yep. All right. That said, I, th I think, John, that's probably good for today. Uh, anything else from this episode last night that you want to, or the series in general that you want to talk about? No, just, uh, just the fact that I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, like we said in the beginning, uh, as a Northeast guy, I knew of the territories. I, off the top of my head, could name a handful of them and who necessarily came out of them. But this was very educational for me. There's a lot of stuff that I did not know, or I like I had heard of the territory and then kind of knew nothing about it. So I, I absolutely enjoyed this series. Not and like you said, I I don't know where else they go because they touched on all the major ones. But even if this is a, this stands alone as just these ten episodes. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, I'm glad that uh, what is it seven seven bucks promotions put it help put it together. Yeah. The one thing I the one thing I guess I I would say is that it's a little hard to uh, 
you're, you're basically all these stories are coming off of people's memories of the True. stories. There was no real history mm-hmm. written about the territories. Like we might be able to go back and find some, you know, WWE owns an incredible amount of the tape library, not all the territories, but they sure. have most of this stuff they own, but there's so much, so much history that was not recorded. And it's, it's kind of sad, you know, other industries, the, the history is all there. It's all recorded, whatever. Not so in the territories. It's really this going through and hearing firsthand accounts is the best we can do. And honestly, these guys were telling stories that were 40, 40 plus years old. You know, yeah. some of these were like 1980, 81, 82, these stories. So their firsthand account, you know, it's no question that there were some tall tales being told. Sure. And uh, when in the case of Polynesian Pro, they were not even telling firsthand stories. They were telling, you know, stories about Peter Maivia and, you know, in the bar fights and stuff like that with the, um, what's his name? Yeah. messed up his eye <laughs> Billy, um, Robin, Billy Robinson right yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and those weren't even first hand accounts it was just like I heard this and I heard this and the story was passed down but you know so Legend. so Legend. A lot of, the, the history is a little little sketchy on some of this stuff so True. it's good that we have them together telling stories first hand accounts are definitely better than the second and third so. absolutely yeah and that, I mean you know that's that is the history of history and it's almost kind of perfect for the territories because the, the territories are the definition of old school. And that's how history was passed down from generation to generation was people sitting around telling stories. So yeah. it just works. Yeah. All right. If you're not subscribed to the show on uh, Apple, Spotify, or whatever your podcast player is, I encourage you to do that. We're going to put this out as a special episode, but we have an entire lot of episodes coming out. We have all scheduled out through the month of December here. So, John, what came out today? Uh, today was uh, Final Battle 2014. Ah, right. Tomorrow we have uh, the return of the Slammies. Mm. And then we wrap up the week with Vengeance Day 2001 and a, a very important uh, three-part main event. That's right. That's right. So uh, it's 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 fun. You look at these three. Um, <laughs> Adam Cole and Jay Briscoe working on top at ROH 2014. Uh, the Slammy Awards tomorrow is all about the superstar of the year who happens to still. This is a 2008 topic, and we're you're talking about somebody who is still active today. Uh, and to, to be honest, you're only going about halfway back in his career when you get to 2008. So, yeah. and he also has a big part in the very next episode. That's right. The uh, the the uh, the the Friday episode. Is, you know, it's what did X person do on this day in 2001? And uh, you'll know it. You'll know it because he. This person has never. Never shut up about it since. He's never let us forget, and rightly so, damn it. That's right. All right, that's it. Uh, enough for today, uh, but do subscribe to the audio version of this show so that you can hear all those uh, interesting topics. We have a whole month worth of stuff coming up and and beyond into the new year. So, John, we'll see everybody tomorrow. Until next time. <laughs>